two years ago, I preached a sermon inspired by ecologist Peter Wollaben's The Hidden Life of Trees. It's, it's one of those remarkable books that can significantly shift how you experience the world. There's just so much more happening with trees than is often apparent from our human point of view. In particular, there is growing scientific evidence that trees communicate with one another. As um, Irene was speaking about earlier, they share resources. They have intricate, intimate relationship with other trees in what is sometimes called the wood wide web. And if you don't have time to read um, Peter Wollaven's books, uh, the New York Times recently published a major article titled The Social Life of Forests. Any of you that listen to the podcast, The Daily, um, from the New York Times, you can go back a few days and, and listen to the article that way if, it's, if that's even easier. Note the subtitle. Trees appear to communicate and cooperate through subterranean networks of fungi. I want to pick up on that fungus piece this morning. Notice that white box at the center bottom. It turns out that fungi are fascinating and critical factors in facilitating the exchange of information and nutrients at the heart of nature's social network, the wood wide web. And although I'd still recommend The Hidden Life of Trees as the best and most accessible starting point for learning more, especially the new illustrated and condensed version, um, Woolhaven, as a forester, understandably focuses on the tree side of the equation. And what inspired me to pick this topic back up again, now two years later, is a great new book titled Entangled Life, How Fungi Make Our Worlds, Change Our Minds, and Shape Our Futures. It's by the mycologist, the fungi expert, uh, Merlin Sheldrake, who focuses on the equally interesting fungus part of the social network of forests. He's an interesting and quirky young scientist, and I suspect there's much more to come from him in the future. For instance, here's a photo of him turning form into function by growing mushrooms out of his book about mushrooms, and eventually those mushrooms will fully digest that book. Dr. Sheldrake says that he plans to come full circle and eat it once it has fully transformed into mushrooms. That's some thoroughgoing commitment to your work. Now, overall, the more I learn about so many different areas, uh, especially biology and ecology, quantum entanglement in physics, spooky action at a distance, and insights from my personal uh, meditation practice, the clearer it becomes that the our UU seventh principle, this respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part, it is quite literal. We are so interdependent and connected with one another, with other living beings, with the ecosystems of this planet on which we find ourselves. We could even add a larger conversations about the cosmos. And our growing awareness of the relationship between plants and fungi in the social life of forests are only the latest example of a, a la latest example of that classic line from John Muir, that when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. I love that. And the deeper you live out of a felt sense of the interdependent web, the more it shifts how you are in the world, how we are in the world. 
for this morning, the part we're picking up and finding hitch to everything else is, of all things, fungus. And we are only at the tip of the iceberg of what there is to discover about the fantastical and fascinating world of fungi, which includes both mushrooms, most obviously, that's the above ground fruiting body, as well as mycelium, that's the underground branching, connecting, networking threads. And I love what primatologist Jane Goodall told the mycology expert Paul Stamets in 2013 as she was learning more about the wood wide web and the potential um, breakthroughs in many areas from studying fungi. She told Stamets, don't stop. You are, you're with fungi where I was with chimps when I started. To say more about what that means, the best estimates suggest that there are between 2.2 and 3.8 million species of fungi in the world. That's a wildly huge number. That's six to 10 times the estimated number of plant species in the world. And that means that a mere 6% of all fungal species have so far been described. In other words, more than 90% of fungi species remain undocumented. But even based on what we know from those 6% that have been, we know that more than 90% of plants depend on mycorrhizal fungi in those underground shared networks of the wood wide web. So even as there's huge amounts still to learn um, about fungi, it's already the case that the more we learn about fungi, the less makes sense without them. And when we pick up anything in the universe, we find everything else hitched to it. Indeed, fungus turns out to be an incredibly frequent common denominator among plants. Fungus is a more fundamental part of plants than fruit, than flowers, leaves, wood, even roots. And out of this symbiotic relationship, the fungus gets fed from the energy the plants produce through photosynthesis, and in turn, the fungus can scavenge nutrients underground much more thoroughly than a plant alone ever could. And oftentimes, the fungus connects and allows exchanges between plants through the fungus's mycelial network. The reality is so interdependent that it seems increasingly inaccurate to even say that plants have roots because that presents the situation as too isolated, too independent. It's more accurate to say that plants have fungus roots hyphenated as one linked word. That's how interdependent and symbiotic the relationship is. Or you could say that fungi have mycorrhizas, um, again, hyphenating together into one linked word, the branching mycelia of fungi and rhizomes that grow out horizontally from plant roots. From our human perspective, it's understandable that mushrooms are often the first thing we think of when we think of fungus, either that or like mold growing on your food, right? <laughs> They are the large, above-ground, fascinating, fruiting bodies. And I love that the Native American language of um, Potawatomi includes the word, and we need this word, includes the word papawi. Papawi means the force which causes mushrooms to push up from the earth overnight. So... There's so much to say about the entangled lives of fungus and how many significant innovations for our human health care, for disease treatment, and many other areas will likely come from the study of fungi and mushrooms and mycelium in the years to come. If you're interested in learning more, another really good overview is a book titled Fantastic 
Fungi by Paul Stamets, which is the summary of a documentary by the same name available for rent on various um, streaming platforms. And for any of you that were here before the service started, all that music um, playing like 20 or more minutes in advance, that was all the soundtrack from this documentary, Fantastic uh, Fungi. Incidentally, for any of my Star Trek nerds out there, you will recognize, you will know that the Star Trek TV show Star Trek Discovery took all this fungi research to the next level with tons of mycelium-related themes. This is to Star Trek characters entering what they imagine is a mycelial network that is part of the cosmos. And they named in Star Trek Discovery, a main character is named Paul Stamets. He's an, a so-called astromycologist. It's in honor of the cutting-edge research that the real-life Paul Stamets is doing in our own present day. So this Stamets, this real life, was uh, has now become a Star Trek character. All right. Let me tell you a few things without slides, and then I'll show you um, a few more to end. Uh, let me share with you one in particular uh, other significant aspect I wanted to be sure to get to. Although fungi do not have brains in the way that we humans typically think of them, numerous peer-reviewed experiments have demonstrated that the mycelium of most species of fungi, they actively sense and respond to their surroundings. Their hyphae, the, the long branching filamentous parts, have a lot going on. Um, uh, they, they are what allow the fungus to interpret chemical emissions of others to negotiate a series of really complex trading relationships with trees. They, fungus use them to knead away at stores of nutrients in the soil, to have sex, to hunt, to fend off attackers. Moreover, in tests using mazes and blocks of wood, mycelium appear to possess a directional memory. When scientists like change things on them, they remember like what went on. And so that's super interesting, although the basis of this memory is not currently known. The upshot is that on the spectrum of sentience and cognition, intelligent behaviors can arise without brains. A dynamic and responsive network is all that's needed, what is sometimes called swarm intelligence or network intelligence. As with the hidden life of trees, there's just a lot more going on, a lot of it quite sophisticated with the entangled life of fungi that initially, seem, uh, that initially seems to be the case from our limited human perspective. Along these lines, I find it fascinating that one of the things mushrooms have become famous for doing to our human brains is helping us break down barriers and increase connections. For instance, I'll show you one, I'll share my screen with you to show you one more set of slides. Here's a graphic of the normal interconnections between networks of human brain activity during normal waking consciousness. And there's actually one more layer here. This is both the same as our normal waking consciousness for any of us right now. It's also the same as people do um, undergoing psilocybin research who received a placebo. So this is what that looks like. And here is your brain on psilocybin, so-called magic mushrooms. Uh, 
tumult of new neural pathways arise. And there's a lot more to say about that. If you're curious to learn more, I recommend Michael Pollan's excellent book titled How to Change Your Mind, what this new science of psychedelics wrongly suppressed for decades, um, but starting to gain legitimacy again, what it teaches us about consciousness, about dying, addiction, depression, and transcendence. So um, check out that book. I know a number of you have already read it. So, although there's so much more to say and for us to learn as a species about the wild world of fungi, as I move toward my conclusion, I'll say that I think Dr. Sheldrake, the master mycologist, is onto something when he says that my exploration of the fungal world has made me re-examine much of what I knew. Evolution, ecosystems, individuality, intelligence, life, none, he says, are quite what I thought they were. My hope, he says, is that this book loosens some of your certainties as he confesses mushrooms have loosened mine. So keeping in mind that hope of loosening our preconceptions, I invite you to hear quite an interesting poem titled View with a Grain of Sand. It's by the Polish poet and winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature, Wyszlowa Szymborska. As you listen, consider the alternative non-human views of the world, that the hidden life of trees, that the entangled lives of fungi invite us to consider. Here's how that poem goes. We call it a grain of sand, but it calls itself neither grain nor sand. It does fine without a name, whether general, particular, permanent, passing, incorrect, or apt. Our touch, our glance, mean nothing to it. It doesn't feel itself seen and touched. And that it fell on the windowsill is only our experience, not its. For it, it is no different from falling on anything else with no assurance that it has finished falling or that it is falling still. The window. The window has a wonderful view of the lake, but the view doesn't view itself. It exists in this world, colorless, shapeless, soundless, odorless, painless. The lake's floor exists floorlessly, and its shore exists shorelessly. Its water feels itself neither wet nor dry, and its waves to themselves are neither singular nor plural. They splash death to their own noise on pebbles neither large nor small. And all this beneath a sky by nature skyless, in which the sun sets without setting at all, and hides without hiding behind an unminding cloud. The wind ruffles it, its only reason being that it blows. A second passes, a second second, a third. But they're three seconds only for us. Time has passed like a courier, with urgent news, but that's just our simile. The character is invented. His haste is make-believe. His news, inhuman. Our limited human point of view is not the only way of perceiving the world, as the hidden life of trees and the entangled life of fungi invite us to consider. So much can begin to open for us if we begin to consider other angles on the interdependent web of all existence in which and of which we are inextricably a part. 
In that spirit, I want to invite you into just a little experiment as we prepare to sing our closing hymn. See in this moment, right now in real time, if you can open your heart, your mind, your spirit to the interdependent web just a little more than it was previously. See if you can open yourself to what is sometimes called big mind, big heart. You can close your eyes if you like. You can keep them open if that feels more helpful. Don't overthink what I mean. See if you can just open into big mind and big heart and take it for a test drive. Just see what happens. As big mind and big heart, there is openness. Can you feel it? Can you feel that openness as big mind and big heart? There is expansiveness. There is warmth. There is vulnerability, intimacy, tenderness, connection with all living beings. There is compassion. There is wisdom. There is so much room. As big heart, as big mind, what do you notice? Don't think, look, feel, what's there? As big mind and big heart, out of a felt sense of being part of the interdependent web of all existence, you can listen or sing together when our heart is in a holy place.